our community, your radio station. Death comes to us all, and it's the one subject that maybe we don't talk about enough. Well, maybe there's no maybe to it. What do you think, Steve? Do, do we talk about death enough? Uh, no. Straight answer, I think. Um, no, we don't. I think it's, a, it's actually quite a British thing to, to try and avoid the subject until it comes and sort of knocks on our door. And um, we're seeing an improvement in that, but certainly I still think we've got a long way to go before, before it becomes a much more sub- a subject that people are much more comfortable with. Now, obviously, you're, you are a funeral director, and we're going to be talking a lot about the positive sides, of course, of, of, of saying goodbye to those that we love, and even, even our own funerals when that day comes, you know, talking about planning for that and the things that perhaps we should be thinking. But what about you? What was it that attracted you? Of all the things that you could have done in life, uh, why the funeral service? Um, I actually, I'd love to have a a story that I can tell that sort of is, you know, sort of some sort of romantic approach to this. But actually, if I'm really honest, I kind of fell into it. Um, I think probably if most, most, probably most children have a, have an interest in, in death of a bit of a fascination, perhaps. And I was certainly one of those. Um, I lost a couple of friends when I was a a child at school, um, one in a a car crash and, and another one died of leukemia. And so by the time I was nine, I'd had some awareness of death. Um, and, um, and so I think probably there was that, that sort of fascination to it. And, and when an opportunity came along, obviously much later on in life, to, uh, to go and work as a, as a casual uh, person at a funeral directors locally to me, um, I took the opportunity. And I just thought it'd be interesting, to be honest. I just thought, well, you know, it'll fill a, fill a gap, uh, you know, maybe just an interesting thing to do. And I think sometimes you just you just find something that fits you, um, whatever that may be. Um, and it was always my my mum always used to say, you know, the dead can't hurt you. And, and I think that's something that sort of stayed with me. And so working with people that had died wasn't something that concerned me too much. Uh, and I just took the opportunity. And, and that's where I found myself. That was back in, gosh, that was back in 19... 19- 1997, I think it was. So we're kind of pushing up towards 25 years ago. So, what sort of training do you have? Did you have to do in those in those days? I mean, how, how did you? Do, is it you start one level and then sort of work your way up mm. levels through through the the, the business? Yeah, I mean, the, the shame of it is actually in our industry, the funeral industry is actually unregulated, which is somewhat problematic. Um, and so there isn't any any specific formal training that you have to go through in order to be you know to go to work in the industry. Um, but I was actually very lucky. I, I met with the manager who, who ran the funeral home that I worked for. Um, he invested in quite a lot of time in training me. And there's still things I do today. All those years later, there's still things I do today, which, you know, I recall him, him teaching me. Um, and so I started out absolutely at the ground level. I was a casual, what was called a casual driver bearer. So in other words, somebody who washed the cars, um, you know, drove the hearse or the limousine, um, you know, made up coffins collected people after they died that kind of thing um and so i started out on that very sort of basic level and um and then sort of i think sometimes you're in the right place at the right time so you're you know an opportunity then comes along for a full-time position and i took that and then you know a sort of more advanced position so slowly but surely you make your way up through the through the ranks yeah 
Now, there's some people, I, I, I know that the, the very thought of even looking at somebody who's passed away uh, sort of makes, well, sends shivers down their backs and they don't do it. In, yeah. no, in Northern Ireland, where I come, of course, at the other end of the scale, we have these wicks, no doubt you've heard about, you know. where mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I mean, in one sense, it's, a, it's an excuse for a, for a booze up, but, if, but it would be not uncommon to bring the body home. Uh, and, yeah. and, and in fact, the funerals in Northern Ireland, uh, I'm not quite sure about the south of Ireland, but certainly in the north of Ireland, uh, but from death until the, the, the person is actually uh, uh, buried, it's usually about three days. I mean, obviously that will have been uh, changed. Uh, but, but during that three days, the world and his cats come to the home and pay their respects to, yeah. the, you know, to the person in, in an open coffin. Of course, that doesn't happen so much in this country, does it? No. No, and I think we, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how I was only um, with colleagues yesterday and we were talking even about the north-south divide, you know, geographically in the UK, in, in, you know, in England. Yeah. Um, and it's quite funny, it's, like, it's funny, isn't it, how you sort of, you know, reflect back on stories. And my, my dad used to tell me about one of his uncles whose responsibility is to work for an insurance company. And it was his responsibility to traipse around the moors in Yorkshire, going to these quite remote houses. Um, and after, obviously, he'd sold, he'd sold policies to these people for, you know, life insurance policies. And it was one of his responsibilities was then to attend the house to make sure the person had actually died when they made a claim. So he would actually have to go and look at the body, and, and you know, because obviously back then, you know, people were kept at home. Yes. Um, and he would very often get drawn into these wakes. So actually, my, my, he would be my great uncle, spent most of his time drunk. Because, of course, he was going into these houses and then getting involved with these wakes. And he was there to check out whether the person had died or not and then would end up, you know, joining the wake and, and then following on to the funeral. So, so I think, you know, we, it, we tend to still have a little bit of a north-south divide in some respects. But I, I think, no, now we do get occasions where we're asked to take people home again. But most of the time, if there's any, any attendance to the person that's died for what we would call viewing or chapel visits, whatever you want to call them, then that's generally done in the funeral home nowadays. Um, but I'd say it's probably about a 50-50 split, actually, as to people that, that wish to come and see somebody and people that don't. And, of course, there's, there's not a problem with people who don't, because I, I do know that people sometimes prefer to remember their loved one uh, you know, in life uh, rather than yeah. in death. So it's not that they don't care, it's just yeah. that they want to remember them that, that way. Absolutely. I guess your role, though, I mean, because obviously, you, you know, your your service is largely to to the living, but actually with great respect to the person who has who has died. So you're wearing two yeah. hats. You're 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 giving respect to the one who you're laying to rest, and you're helping mm-hmm. you're helping families and so on through probably one mm-hmm. of the most difficult times of their lives. That that must be quite difficult at times. Yeah, and I, and I think it, it's, it's difficult, um, and it should be difficult, uh, because if it wasn't, then we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be taking things as seriously as they should be taken. For, you know, for somebody, imagine, for somebody to come to you and say, you know, my mum's died, my dad's died, somebody, you know, a close relative of mine has died, and I'm actually handing them into your care now. Now they can't, you know, I can't look after them now they've died, so I want you to now look after this person. I mean, you know, what greater privilege could there be than somebody saying that to you? Um, and also, alongside that, I want you to come and look after us too. I want you to come and, you know, put something together with us which will be very reflective of this person that's died. So it, there's, there's massive privilege in that. But I think it's, it's, it's interesting when people say to me, oh, you work with the dead. Well, actually, I don't work with the dead. I work mostly with the living. 
And uh, I've got some amazing staff around me. You know, Chester Pierce has some fantastic, you know, all of our staff are fantastic here. And they, so there are people that have greater responsibility for looking after the dead. But our funeral directors are, are there to look after families and they're to sit down and support those people through what is effectively going to be one of the most difficult times of their life. There's no question about that. And so if we're able to, to do something which will be significant to recognize that person's life, the person that's died, then, you know, in doing that, we're able to bring great comfort to those people. And I, I can't think of any greater privilege than that person. Our community, your radio station. And my very special guest today is uh, Steve Nimmo of Chester Pierce Funeral Service. And uh, we've been talking about the importance of, of not just serving uh, the dead, but serving uh, the living. Uh, Steve, how do you best serve the living? I, bet, I guess there's just so many things that happen uh, when somebody dies. People find themselves in a real tiswas. And I think I told yeah. you before when we discuss it, I often say to people, look, look, don't worry about it because, you know, if the time comes, the, the role of the, of, the, of the funeral service is to, is to hold your hand and to guide you through. I guess that's probably the best way of describing. Would, would hand-holding, guiding be the dominant factor? I think so, and I think I think one of the dangers is is that people um, people think that, that that we're going to come and take over. People think that we have a very formatted approach to this. Um, and of course, having done this for so many years, I do remember the time when we would come in and say, "Don't worry, we'll just take care of everything." Nowadays, we we, we operate a much more what we call a blank canvas approach. So, in other words, sit down initially. Tell me about the person that's died. Tell me who they were. You know, I, I'd like to get to know them. One of the biggest frustrations of my work is that I so rarely know people, uh, you know, and you hear all these wonderful stories about people, but of course they're not firsthand because they've died. So it's really a case of saying, Let, let's get to know that person. Let's get to know the family as best we can. And then we can begin to start to put together a service, which will be reflective of both the person that's died and the family. And then, do you know what we are? Above all else, we're facilitators of wishes. That's how I can only describe ourselves. We're facilitators of wishes. In other words, you tell me what you need. You tell me what you feel you'd like to do here. And if it is if it's legal, um, then there's absolutely no reason at all why we shouldn't be able to try and achieve that for you. Now, obviously, in in life, some people are very prepared. I mean, it applies to a lot of things, isn't it? I, I'm actually astounded about the number of people who don't actually have wills and so on. Yeah. I guess if that applies to wills, it must equally apply to, to funerals, whether that be a, our own death or the, or the death of those uh, around us, because sadly it's one of those subjects that we don't talk uh, enough about. But percentage-wise, of the people that you meet, how many people have really uh, prepared for, for what was the inevitable, and how many really haven't? I would say we're probably still working at about 80-20 in, in the fact that they haven't really thought about it. I mean, I, we, we have families come to us and, you know, dad was ill for two years and we're actually really relieved because his suffering's over now and it's been, it's been very difficult, but at least he's at rest now. And you go, okay, well, and so, did, you know, did you ever discuss what he wanted for his funeral then in that case? Oh, no, 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 we didn't talk about that. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's a challenge to know, is it that you wouldn't talk about it or is it that he wouldn't talk about it? Because unless you create a space for somebody to, to, to say what they want to say, of course, they're never going to say anything. And I think it's always one of those, no, 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 let's not talk about that because that's, you know, that's morbid or it's tempting fate or we're not ready to discuss that yet. And, of course, then the time comes and it's too late by then. Of course, 
I think that when it, when it comes to dealing with death, I mean, funerals and so on are really a, should be a celebration of life, you know. And, and in a yeah. way, maybe we would think about these things differently if we thought, well, what way would you like to celebrate your own life? And, and actually, what way mm. would you want to celebrate the life of those who have been closest mm. to you? It sort of puts a slightly different spin on it. And as you say, it puts you in the, in the driving seat in many ways. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is about control. It's about saying to a family, um, or, you know, to say somebody who, who's, you know, maybe somebody who's died. We do quite a lot of work with people who are dying. And what we're basically saying to them is, you know, you've, you've been stripped of so much control. You've lost control of the illness, perhaps. Um, you know, you're, you're terminally ill now, and, and so you, you've lost control of that. You've lost control of the plans that you have for the future because they've all now gone and so on. So what can we do to give you some of that control back? And the way we do that is to sit down and talk to you at the very least about how you would like, first and foremost, how you would like things to be done in the, the minutes and hours after you die. And then what would you like to be done for your actual funeral service? And if we can allow people space to do that, and part of our job is to go in and, and listen, you know, it's, to, it's not to talk at people, it's to listen to them and say, talk to me, talk to me about the things that you might like to do. And then that is a way of being able to then draw out of them a little bit more information about what they might like for themselves. So in a very real sense, what you're saying is that that we should be talking to yourself or or others uh, long before actually the the event actually happens. Uh, So we so we can actually get advice pointers and and I I guess many, many options because there are so many options these days, aren't there? Yeah, there are now. And I think what's really funny to me is that I always look back at, um, uh, you know, times when you would go out for dinner or something with friends or, you know, and you'd be introduced to new people. And, of course, the first thing they said, well, what do you do for a living? Um, and you would tell them what you do for a living. And, and by the end of the evening, you would know what every person around that table wanted for their funeral because they would talk to you about, you know, what music they like and, you know, hymns or where they'd like to be buried or cremated or, you know, all of those things. Because the environment was relaxed and it was just a tour, it was just a chat. Um, it's when you put people in a position of, right, sit down, right, let's talk about your funeral. Let's talk about your death. Well, that's a very different way of approaching it. And, of course, it's not always going to achieve the right outcome. <laughs> a great, a so, great you know. conversation shut her down. <laughs> we don't, it is a bit. We, it is a bit. Yeah, we, we don't like often to think, about, which ironically is inevitable because we are all going to, yes. we're all going to die. I guess that one of the, one of the saddest and, and most difficult things for you to handle is that on the, on the news this week, there was a, a feature about a gentleman who'd actually died uh, with no family. They, they couldn't trace anybody who know who knew him. I know that you're mm. having to, to pick up on all of that. That must be very, very difficult for everyone concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we... We have we have a number of contracts. Uh, there are there are contracts for people who don't know about how this works. There are contracts. So, if somebody dies in hospital, the hospital have a responsibility to take care of that person if there's no one else to do so. And if somebody dies in the community, then it's the local authority's responsibility. Um, and we, as a funeral service, have responsibility. We look after those different entities for the hospitals and the local authority. So, but, but again, you know you can create something very simple but very meaningful for somebody um, if, if indeed there isn't anyone else to come along and do that. And it might be, you know, we have done funerals where literally it's, it's myself or one of my funeral directors, the forebearers, um, who go into the chapel and there'll be a priest or, or a celebrant who'll say a few words. And that could be the only people in attendance. 
But what we're doing in that action is we're acknowledging that that person lived. We're not actually, we're not recognizing their death quite so much. We're actually acknowledging that they lived and they would have made a difference along the way somewhere. They will have interacted with people. They will have had relationships with people and they will have, they will have had an impact on this world. And so the very least we can do is take a few minutes to acknowledge that. And so that's, that's something that we believe very passionately in. And, and where's possible, do you, do you do a little bit of, of research as much as you can do for somebody with... Absolutely. Hip- yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've got great people. You know, my, my sister, for example, Liz, she, she'll very often go into the sort of the background of people, um, you know, trying to just find out a little bit more about them. So that if there is a service that we can put together, um, you know, there's, there's ways of sort of crafting something which is still meaningful to that individual um you know and and thankfully generally speaking there will be maybe friends or neighbors or or somebody will come to the service but but you know those people just because they've died without family they still deserve the same level of input and respect from us as an organization and i actually take my hat off to the hospitals and to the local authority because they let us do it you know there's a lot of lot of um hospitals around the country and local authorities who would say no the person's died we're paying for it straight to the crematorium have a cremation you know that's the end of it but the hospitals locally here are phenomenal as is the local authority in letting us put together a service still that people can attend if they wish to and recognize that that person you know as i say has had an impact on this world our community your radio station well, my very special guest uh, in this hour of the programme is Steve Nimmo. He's the founder of Chester Pierce uh, Funeral Service. And, and, and just before we, we, we took our break to do our review there, we were, we were talking about people who die without any sorts of families and so on. But, but, but I, I guess that, uh, that the, the role of the hospitals and the council then becomes quite critical, Steve. Yeah, it does. And as I say, there, there, there are some around the... Um uh, around the sort of country that don't take anywhere near the level of responsibility that we we see in our area. Um, and so, yes, it is important because they recognise that it doesn't matter if somebody's died, they should deserve a certain level of respect that everyone else would get. Now, obviously, during the current crisis, it's, it's presented, well, unique challenges, one in the, way, in the way in which funerals are conducted. And I know that you've been, you've been engaged very much both both locally and nationally and internationally. I mean, how has that? How have you been engaged in that respect? I, I, when we last spoke, I, I wanted to ask you more about this because I know you've been very involved. But tell us how. Yeah, I think we've we've got a number of responsibilities. It's, the biggest problem at the moment with the pandemic is that there's an awful lot of news out there that people are listening to, and they are assuming that, that is gospel. That is the case. And so what we've done, certainly locally, is we've worked very hard to try and work with the guidelines that are being issued, but also to understand that there are ways that we can still provide a service which is, uh, which is significant to the person that's, that's died and to the family that are left behind. Um, and so, you know, whereas there are some funeral directors, for example, who are saying, no, you can't possibly do this and you can't do that, you can't do the other, what we're trying to do is to say, look, this is what you can do. Um, and so if you want to come and spend time in our chapel with your loved one, then of course you can do that. If you want to provide them with clothing and we will dress them for you, of course we will do that. Um, because what we've done is taken a lot of time to, to look into what the possibilities are rather than just saying, hands off, let's not do anything. Um, 
in terms of our work, uh, sort of nationally and internationally, I do a lot of work with uh, with the Middle East, for example, um, in countries in the Middle East, and so we've done a lot of work advising them uh, as to how they should be approaching the pandemic. Of course, in the Middle East, they have very different practices in terms of uh, burial within 24 hours yeah. and things like that. So they don't they don't face the same challenges that we do. But of course, what they do face is the challenge of that they have a very strong community based response to death. So they're used to having very large numbers of people gathering when somebody dies. So that's been a real challenge for them. Um, and so it's been really interesting for me to be able to spend time talking to colleagues in the Middle East and, and how, we, how we can help them, you know, come to terms with that and so on. Um, and I think then the last thing is, um, do, you know what, do you know what's been really interesting? Uh, I was only saying this yesterday. I've got, um, I've got some amazing colleagues around the country, and, and, and there's people in particular up in... Um, uh, Ramsbottom, actually, in, in Bury near Manchester, um, and we're doing some work up there um, with them, um, Hannah and Marcia in particular. And uh, we, we, I've worked with them for quite some time. But as a result of this particular situation, we've actually been working with a, a, a manufacturer up there who, who we've now gone into providing coffins for funeral directors, because obviously with the increase in the death rate, there was a real logjam in terms of being able to get their hands on you know, quality coffins. Yeah. So we've been able to work with a manufacturer for that. So, so there's a number of sort of things that have come out of this, which, is, you know, we see an awful lot of doom and gloom around there at the moment. But there are a number of things where people have really stepped up and they've really grasped the nettle and said, what can we do to make this situation better? And I think that is something that is a credit to, you know, to people around the country who've been able to do that. That's great. And, and it's also, I mean, again, it emphasizes the point that don't just listen to the, the media and believe everything you hear. Actually talk to people like yourselves who are yeah. clearly are very flexible and can do all sorts of things. And yeah. that, that brings me really Absolutely. to to the whole issue of what we should be doing. I mean, I know that people can have funeral plans and, and the conversation in terms of, you know, whether it be our own death or planning for the, you know, the, the, the funeral of one of our loved ones is really important um and 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 having that conversation uh early when it comes to the world of funeral plans it's 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 probably a very very challenging thing because there's so many uh different plans and i guess there's probably a a few well shall we say less than scrupulous people who are selling these plans as well so what is the best way of going about making these plans the best approach I can always recommend is if, if, you're, if you're taking out a funeral plan, there's, there's two different reasons why you do it, fundamentally. One is you do it for financial reasons. So you might want to guarantee the cost of the funeral for the future. So a funeral plan essentially is a way of putting money into something that you're going to need eventually, but not yet. Um, and the idea behind a funeral plan is that you then shouldn't have to pay any more money when the time comes. So one would argue it's actually a very good investment. If you buy a funeral plan today and then you die in, you know, 15 years time, the funeral in 15 years time is going to be a lot more expensive. So that's one reason people do it. The other reason people do it is because they do want to ensure that their wishes are respected when the time comes. And so, you know, they will want to sit down and go through the arrangements that way. But either way, the best people to talk to about making funeral plans, i.e. plans for a funeral, if you want to turn it around, is a funeral director. Now, the funeral director then will have access to trust funds, which are independent of the funeral director, um, because obviously that makes sure the money's safe. 
Um, and that they will then access those trust funds with the funds to make sure that, you know, that everything is done properly. Um, what worries me is people who take out funeral plans from the back page of the, some national newspaper. Mm. And they're not talking to a professional. They're ticking a few boxes, and then they're going you know, to send a check-in for £3,000 or whatever the figure is. Um, and then, you know, that's it. And that, that's not a funeral plan. That's just basically putting money into something in the hope that one day it's going to then pay out. You know, the best people to talk to about how you want to plan a funeral, for whatever your reasoning might be, is a funeral director. Um, that's what we're here for. And, and I always say to a family, you know, or to an individual, sit down and talk to me as if you died today. Because if you do it that way, then, then it, it means that the formatting is such that, yeah, what would I actually want for myself if the funeral was going to be taking place in the next two weeks? That's the way you actually get somebody to really recognize what it is they want. But whether people take a funeral plan out or not, the most important thing is that they talk to you and they talk to you uh, yeah. beforehand. So at the very least, you know, there, there is like a will. Um, in fact, it really is a will, isn't it, in a way, and, and yeah. linked into the, to the, to, to the funeral. You mentioned right at the beginning of our conversation today, um, you know, about the funeral service generally not being regulated. Are people who that yeah. take these plans, are, are, are they pretty well protected? Yes, they are. I mean, again, there's two things with a funeral plan. One is the actual content of it. In other words, you know, cremation, burial, uh, church service, who I want to take the service, hymns I might like, and so on. That's something that sits with the funeral director themselves. Then there's the money side of it, the financial side of it. Now, the financial side of it is, is regulated. And so the money for a funeral plan has to go into an independent trust. And that then means that if the funeral director concern should disappear, go bust, you know, go out of business or whatever, the money itself is still secure. The funeral plan, you know, the actual details might disappear, but at least, you know, the money's safe. So, um, so while the industry is unregulated, the, the, the work surrounding funeral planning and the money um, is actually much more strictly regulated to make sure the money's secure, yeah. Well, Steve, thank you very much for uh, talking to me uh, today. I know that you're going to be pretty regular uh, on Hope FM and giving us lots of... I hope so. Taps. And we'll, we'll invite some of, of our listeners to maybe uh, put some questions to us that we can ask you as we yeah. as we go into the months uh, ahead. But the, I'd like but, that very much. But the, I guess the golden rule is don't wait. You know, get thinking about these yeah. things now and actually thinking about it, wearing your celebration hat on and uh, and, and not, being, yes. not being frightened about negatives. I think that that's... That's absolutely. an important message, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Our community, your radio station.